Scripture reading today is out of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1. So if you are at Luke chapter 1, we're going to be starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Then the angel left her. Let's pray together. Lord, we again come to you and we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel telling us this good news, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this time of year and we ask that you would uh, bless each and every one of us through it as things tend to get busier and busier the closer we get to Christmas Day. Lord, I, I pray that we would be focused on you and what this truly is about. Lord, I ask that you would uh, use Pastor Doug to uh, bless us this morning, Lord, and that what he has would be uh, uplifting to us, Lord, would be challenging to us, and Lord, would would bring, uh, bring us closer and closer to you every single day. Lord, we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 1. Last week... We focused on the revealing of the truth of the scriptures as they highlighted the promises of the coming Messiah. What was spoken of in the Old Testament was revealed in the New Testament. Each passage was gloriously pointing to the arrival of the Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning's message is focused on the method, the method in which the Savior would come. Someone once wrote these words when they said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But our greatest need was forgiveness. God sent us a savior. The marvelous truth of this mystery centers around a young virgin 
who lived in a small and insignificant town in the southern part of the region known as Galilee, which is located just east of the Sea of Galilee, north, if you will, many miles north of Bethlehem. The insignificant town is Nazareth. The young virgin's name is Mary. In fact, Mary finds herself in the middle of what we will see as the marvelous method in which our Savior came forth from heaven for one purpose and one purpose only. He says, I've come to do the will of my Father who sent me. And in that, he says, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. The marvelous method is spoken of in three different passages of the scriptures. One we looked at last week, which was Isaiah chapter 7, where it referred to the fact that the same is what happened in Matthew chapter 1, and then again in Galatians chapter 4. They all have one thing in common. For a virgin shall conceive. The significance of this truth should not be quickly overlooked. In fact, this truth is what sets apart true biblical Christianity from every other worldview. The biblical truth of the virgin birth of Jesus, our Savior, speaks of God's design for salvation as man, of, of for mankind as well as complete fulfillment of the prophecies of the prophets in the Old Testament, some of them over 500 years before they were fulfilled. This leads us to the truth that God always fulfills his promises and what awaits us as believers in the final promise of our Savior coming again. In this morning's passage of Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26 to 38, we're drawn back in a time of the event that would bring a hope to everyone who did not expect to happen what was declared. Oh, the nation of Israel was looking for the Messiah. They were anticipating Messiah would come and victoriously conquer the Roman Empire to set them free. But God had a different plan. His plan was focusing on the spiritual to be set free. Thus, the physical could also be set free. So in this passage, I want to speak on five significant truths in the life of Mary that are revealed in these 12 verses of Luke's chapter 1. Let's begin. The first one is this. Let's consider Mary's place. We'll consider Mary's place. It says in verse 26 that the now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth was classified as one of those kinds of town 
that you being a quick ride through and don't close your eyes or you'll miss it. It was insignificant in the fact of it wasn't viewed as being very important. In fact, you might remember in John's Gospel, chapter 1, when one of the Philip's invitations to his brother Nathaniel was to come. And let me read it for you. He says, We have found the one who Moses wrote about in the law, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel said these words, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was one of those cities that no one was clamoring to go in to live. It was one of those cities that was not noted for any significance as far as economics or anything like that. But what it was noted for, and I did some research, is interesting. Archaeologists have found huge caverns dug out, they believe, under every one of the homes in Nazareth. And in those, they found pottery. And what they believe is that every household was hiding things from the Roman government so they wouldn't have to pay taxes. Now, that doesn't mean you all go home and start digging underneath your house. <laughs> they may have been noted for, if you will, be impropriety against the Roman government. But other than that... Nazareth was not a respected town in its day. And Mary was part of Nazareth and was about to become a vital part in God's plan. Isn't it wonderful that many times as Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29, that God does things that are totally contrary to the thinking of mankind. He, it says in, in, in the word, it says that he has chosen the foolish in the world to shame the wise. He has, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. An insignificant town. Most would even have viewed Mary as being an insignificant citizen of the town. But God was about to do something marvelous. That's Mary's place. It didn't start out fantastic, but it will definitely end up being glorious. The second thing we want to look at is Mary's position. Her position, it says in verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Mary is a virgin who is engaged or betrothed to Joseph. And that's the information we have, but what we find is some interesting correspondence against other worldviews. The question is, how can a virgin have a child? I'm glad you asked. Because the secret or the truth of that is in these verses. But let me at least share with you, as a virgin, Mary is of 
marriageable age. That doesn't mean that uh, Mary could not have children. She was at that age as she could be married and would then have children. The, vir the word virgin literally means she's decided not to be active in intimacy until she is married. Some describe it that she was only 13 years old. I, I don't know if God would do that to a 13-year-old. I will say this. She was ready to be married because she was already engaged to Joseph. But she has kept herself pure until that day when the marriage would be consummated later on. We're not given any example. We're not giving any information as to when that was going to happen. All we know is that she was engaged and she was pure. I think the angel Gabriel and his words help us to understand it when Gabriel says, you have found favor with God. He's looked at your heart. Not only are you pure physically, but you're striving to be pure spiritually. That does not make her perfect. The Roman Catholic uh, version of the Immaculate uh, Conception. I almost said the Immaculate Reception of, of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt that right now, but anyway. The Immaculate Conception is not, as the Roman Catholics believe, does not prove that Mary was sinless and perfect. No. It focuses on what God is about to do. It was immaculate. It was miraculous. So Mary, first of all, let me at least offer to you the significance of Mary being a virgin as it has to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. There are four truths. The first truth is this. The doctrine of the virgin birth is a reminder that our salvation is supernatural. Man cannot in any way build their own bridge to God. It's impossible. Paul tells us not of works, lest any man should boast. Our salvation is a supernatural work that Jesus, as he was on this earth in John chapter 3, told Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. It's a supernatural act of God to provide the only way for salvation. The emphasis is that salvation does not come through man's effort nor through his accomplishment. The second truth is this, is the virgin birth is also a reminder that God's salvation is fully a gift of grace. It's God's grace. As Gabriel announced to Mary that she was found favor with God, this could very well mean that Mary manifested qualities which God could use, such as faith and dedication. But she had nothing 
to offer to this special thing. She's not even married. That someone apparently was in a position, a life position that she was not having a child. She would be the one that would bear God's son as a reminder that salvation is not something a human can accomplish, but it is a gift from God. As a witness to this fact, notice Mary's cousin Elizabeth, who was well beyond her age to bear children, and yet God favored her with a forerunner of the Savior, John the Baptist. The third truth of the virgin birth goes like this. The virgin birth is evidence of the uniqueness of Jesus as Savior. No one was conceived anywhere near how Jesus was conceived. He is set apart from all human beings, but yet at the same time, he became part of mankind. So significant is that, that he was not affected by sin, but he came to pay the price for sin. He did not have a sin nature. The wonder and the glory of the birth, the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ, tells us that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Not by man's seed, but by God's direction. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Lastly, the virgin birth is evidence of the power and sovereignty of God over nature. God could do what no one can do. And his sovereign decree, he determined, as we even saw last week in the early passages of Scripture, at somewhat the very beginning of humankind, when he said, the seed of the woman will be against the seed of the serpent. The significance of that is the very fulfilling words that were spoken of both in Genesis chapter 18 and here chapter 1 verse 27. For with God nothing is impossible. Nothing. The third that we see of, of Mary in this passage is Mary's promise. The promise that was given to Mary. And the promise is this. The angel Gabriel gives to Mary the directive of his mission from God. In which he says, notice in verse 31 to 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. 
notice the name Jesus. The name Jesus means Savior. In the Old Testament, the name is Joshua. In the New Testament, the name is Jesus. The name of Jesus is that powerful that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The name of Jesus is that powerful that there's no other name given under heaven, given amongst men, whereby anybody can be saved. The name of Jesus is that powerful that demons of hell tremble and angels in heaven rejoice. The name of Jesus is that powerful that all of creation was made and established and kept by his name. For nothing was made that was made without Jesus. It's the only name whereby anyone can come to the Father for an eternal relationship, or even come to the throne and find grace and mercy. I believe I got your attention. Take the notice of the name Jesus. But it goes beyond that. It doesn't stop there. Notice what Jesus will be called. He will be great, not good. Great. Scriptures are full of his greatness. Take an inventory, maybe even this morning, for just a few short seconds, how great Jesus has been to you. He's given you health. He's provided for your needs. He's given you protection. He's given you fellowship. He's great. And I look forward to the great display of the great house of God where Jesus Christ is going to be held up. Worthy is a lamb who was slain. He's great. Not only is he called great, but he shall be called son of the highest. In other words, he is a carbon copy of the father bearing the divine nature. Proof is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Where the writer of Hebrews says to these first century Christians, At sundry times, God has spoken to our fathers through the prophets and angels. But now speaks to us through his Son. He is the manifestation of the very glory of heaven. Jesus even quoted for his disciples when he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John chapter 14. I and the Father are one. He's the Son of God. Notice too that he will be called the ruler on the throne of David. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. I'm looking forward to that establishing of that. When Jesus comes again after the great tribulation and puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, 
then he establishes his kingdom in Jerusalem. He will reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem. The old song is going to be, what a day that will be when my Jesus we shall see. And lastly, Jesus would be the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and promises to the coming of the son of David, the Messiah. It's known as the Davidic covenant that there would be a king from the house of David that will rule over Jerusalem and Israel. Well, we've looked at three. We have two more to go. That was Mary's promise. Now we look at Mary's perplexity. P-E-R-P-L. <laughs> E-X-I-T-Y. I don't have my light up here. And uh, that's what uh, Brother Rick said. He says, where's the light? Yeah. under there Mary's perplexity her question in verse 34 is how can this be she said I don't I don't even know a man now Mary simply says I don't know a man it's not that she does not have intellectuality of knowing a man the word know is used in this context is that Mary is not presently married to a man and has not yet had intimate relations with her husband. Mary's thinking of the physical. But isn't it interesting that God always views the spiritual? In the Jewish tradition, the betrothal was a contract of marriage that was agreed upon by the couple's parents. And the couple is looked upon or considered as being married, even though the marriage ceremony has not yet performed. So Mary's question is a declaration of her purity and her absence of sexual activity. Gabriel answers her perplexity in verses 35 to verse 37, as he says, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. First of all, this is going to be a supernatural act of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. A supernatural act is that which goes beyond the realm of humanity because it is an action that has been declared in heaven. In this declaration of the angel of Gabriel, we see the presence of the triune Godhead in this glorious action. First, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Gabriel said. There we have God, the Holy Spirit. Then he said, and the power of the highest is God the Father. 
Also, that Holy One who was born will be called the Son of God, God the Son. Reminds us of the actions that were taking place even at the beginning of time when God said, let there be. The word God there is Elohim. The description this, if you will, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit active in even the creation of the world and all of mankind. But here they are again, doing that which no one else can do. This blessed action is solidified in Mary's heart because the angel Gabriel shares with Mary the truth that her cousin, Elizabeth, is with child even when her age of childbearing is past. Yes, the child, as described by the angel Gabriel, is by all means a marvelous miracle both in Elizabeth and in Mary because for God, for with God, nothing is impossible. As shared earlier in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14, as God is speaking to Abraham and Sarah concerning the birth of Isaac, God said, and with God, nothing is impossible. Oh, dear people, don't, do not doubt the promises of God as they are declared in the Holy Scriptures. Do not doubt the promises of God as they work in our realm and we can see what might be impossible, but God makes it happen. It is impossible for an individual to come to God without Jesus Christ. But when an individual trusts the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the miracle of heaven. And we rejoice. Even so much, the angels rejoice. Oh, some of us, we may seem to be what is impossible. But God opens the way through our Red Sea to get us to where he wants us to be. All for his glory and praise. That's Mary's perplexity. But it ends with Mary's praise. In verse 38, it says, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Mary's praise begins with submission. Her willingness to be used of the Lord is highlighted by her admission that she is a maidservant. In other words, a willing position of a female slave of God. A female, if you will, doulos. And this position of Mary is parallel to the Apostle Paul, which Paul often describes when he declares that he is a slave of Jesus Christ. This is an understanding of placing oneself under the authority of Jesus Christ as being Lord of our lives. Jesus is declared Lord by those he has saved and who are willing to allow Jesus to control their life without any regret. It begins with submission, but it ends with assurance. 
For she says, let it be to me according to your word. Mary unwillingly, I'm sorry, unwaveringly knew the words that the angel Gabriel spoke would come to being. She placed her faith and trust in what God was about to do would come to fruition and would be used for his glory no matter what. One of the highlights of the life of a believer is faith. Faith is the belief that what God says he will do. It is the belief that what, uh, who God is, who God says he is, he is. And you can trust that what he says he will do. Mary simply placed her trust in, the, in what she heard from God was going to do and how he was going to do it. Mary didn't have any. She didn't have all of the information about what was going to be Joseph's reaction. She had no information as to what Caesar Augustus was going to do. She didn't know anything about the inn being full in Bethlehem. She had no idea that her baby was going to be born in a manger or the shepherds and the angels on all of that was going to take place. All she had is the words that she believed God said he would do. And she believed that he would do it. The full details didn't matter to her because she trusted in the one who would fulfill his promises. She was going to name the child Jesus. God was going to do the supernatural, even though the circumstances may have said, no way. And Mary responded, God's way. So what makes this a marvelous method is that we have in the scriptures a pattern to follow in the life of Mary that points to what faith looks like and how God blesses those who just believe. Mary, may I remind you of something. I may have said this before, but in the main reception area of Moody Bible Institute, there is engraved these words where it says, the world has not yet seen what God will do with one who is totally sold out to him. How about you? Are you willing to be totally sold out to Christ? And it's costly. But the benefits are great. Can we pray? Our God and our Father, it is through your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we praise you. A very familiar account of Scripture we have just plowed through. But it never gets old. It never becomes stale. Because it is alive. With faith. None of us here are going to be asked to bear. The son of God. That has already been done. 
but there may be some Red Seas that we might have to face. There could very well be some mountains that we have to climb. There may very well even be shadows of death in which we must walk. But in any of those situations, I'm so grateful that what mankind cannot do, God is able because nothing is impossible for him. He'll open the Red Sea. He'll move the mountain and he will guide you to the valley of the shadow of death. Oh God, I pray that this day will be a good reminder that God is willing to use anyone who would allow themselves to be totally sold out to him. And so to you be the glory. And may you receive all the praise and the honor because you alone are worthy. Dismiss us, O Lord God, by your blessing that as we prepare for the days ahead, may we be looking up to the one who knows the way. I will praise you and thank you in your name. Amen.